Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution. With call, meet, and message all in one app, Ring Central makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere with anyone at any time and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at ringcentral.com. Ring Central. Simpler communications. Welcome back to MLB Daily, your one-stop shop for daily baseball content. This is episode 70. We are now one episode removed from episode 69. Nice. And we are very excited to talk about this rather crazy day in baseball. This has been one of the more eventful days that we've had this year, I think, Brandon. Yeah, uh, you know, every day we wake up and I'm just thinking – what craziness is going to happen in the MLB today? I know that something crazy is going to happen, but we never know who or exactly what it is. But LJ, I think you said this to me yesterday. Me and you have a seven days a week baseball podcast, and we still uh, struggle to talk about everything that we want to. Yeah, we go an hour just about every day. And there are still segments that I think of and we end up cutting because we just do not have the time and place to put them it is frankly shocking i mean maybe i'm just putting together too much content for my in my head but i really don't think so this is just really this is a league that has so much to cover so many stories that get get glossed over in the seven day the weekly uh podcast cycle or the bi-weekly podcast cycle well so let's get into this brandon yes sir we got a very tight show today um sorry to cut you off there um yeah we have at the end we are actually going to be talking about some research that I have been doing over the past several months, I have been researching uh, deep into the benefits and issues with the designated hitter in baseball, putting it into both leagues, the universal DH, of course, 
So we're going to be doing a, a bit of a breakdown on the paper I wrote on that. Um, we'll see about, of course, at some point getting that paper up online somewhere. But until then, let us, let us run a pretty tight ship through this great day of baseball. Uh, well, certainly the game of the night, the Reds and the Indians, this game would be scoreless through the eighth inning as both starters. It was Zach Plezak for the Indians and Wade Miley for the Reds. We're both, we're both working very efficiently, retiring batter after batter. Of course, Wade Miley taking a no-hitter into the ninth in a 0-0 game. The Indians call on Emmanuel Classe for the ninth inning, who has been lights out so far this year. However, he allows two straight singles, and then a fielder's choice scores a run after an error by Ahmed Rosario. Next, Classe uh, was on the mound with the runners on first and third. He balks. Another run scores. That makes it 2-0. And then Mike Moustakis plates the third run of the inning. So with a 3-0 lead, Wade Miley would go out for the ninth to try to complete the no-hitter. He gets Rene Rivera to line out, Cesar Hernandez to strike out, and then Jordan Luplo to ground out to complete the no-hitter. The fourth of the season, fifth counting Madison Bumgarner, seven-inning no-hitter. And LJ, the second no-hitter in three days, uh, of course, give him the win. Now four and two, nine innings, no hits, no runs, one walk, and eight Ks. The loss goes to Emmanuel Classe. Now two and two on the year. He fails to get an out. Three innings, two or three hits, excuse me, two earned runs. Those are the first earned runs of the season for him. Uh, these two will meet again today with Luis Castillo and Aaron Savalli. But LJ. Uh, what a game. I mean, 0-0 in the ninth. You get all that action off of Class A, and we get another no-hitter. I mean, uh, yeah, take me through what, what you're thinking. Yeah, I've got really three points here. First off, the battle for Ohio is alive and well. These two teams were not expected to be above 500 teams by most people this year, and yet they are still making an incredibly competitive series between them the first one was very good this one's starting even better um first off i should say can we stop talking about the whole four or five we're counting this podcast counts Madison bum garners this podcast is fair this podcast is just to all and so madison bum garners no hitter will count in my book now past that again not trying to blow over wade miley here fantastic day seeing I am not really planning to talk about him at all in this section. But I'd like to take this back to the top of the ninth because that might have been, to get this guy's first two earned runs of his career, or not career, but his season, this might be the most epic self-destruct I have seen in a very long time. First off, that is, I, I wish there was a way to describe something that is more than an error by Ahmed Rosario. Yeah, <laughs> this is a career shortstop that never went over to second base. So it's a little weak contact for those who didn't see the play. Uh, weak contact over to the right side of the infield gets fielded by Classe, and then Classe thinks he still has time for the double play if he turns around, which he did. So he turns around expecting to see Ahmed Rosario at second base. He is instead at, at best jogging. I don't think I can even give him jogging over 
towards second base. So class A, who's preparing to throw it towards the bag, now has to basically double clutch it and throw it back towards Rosario, which winds up in an offline throw that also he has to make a pretty good play to be able to grab um, in Rosario. That 120% should have, that should have gone with only one earned run on class A here at best. Yeah. One, one run at best, because rather than having, you got runners on the corners, get that hit double play there. You've got two outs, one run scored. That's doable. That's workable for this team, even with the no hitter going. I mean, that, that looks much better, but then of course, class A, you can tell just completely thrown off by that whole series of events, probably pissed at Rosario, frankly, and ends up with that balk, which was just, that's not something you want to see. That's not, that's just not good baseball to see a guy balking in big moments like that. So that was just a really frustrating inning to watch for me. Yeah. Uh, it was both, both frustrating and entertaining. Uh, two things that I find really interesting about this game. The Indians have now gotten no hit twice this year. Uh, no team has ever been no hit three times ever in a season. <laughs> and um, uh, LJ, you seem, yes. I, it just dawned on me, you know, I was thinking about it because I was thinking about it earlier and it kind of blew over my head about the next game we're going to talk about here. The fact that it might've gotten ruined. But once again, this season, for the second time this season, the Cleveland Indians have become the longest streak of uh, uh, between no hitters and the shortest streak between being no hit. <laughs> this has happened twice in the same season. Yeah, uh, but the Indians could go on to be the first team to ever get no hit uh, three times in one year. I guess uh, all I'll say to that is you get what you pay for. Your $40 million payroll uh, shows in that lineup. But they can still win games. They have an awesome bullpen, awesome starting rotation. But that's beside the point. It was Wade Miley's night. Now, LJ, one other thing. I mean, we are seeing an abnormal amount of no-hitters up through this point of the season. Uh, And not only that, but we've seen offense as a whole be be down this year. I mean, I'm pretty sure that the league batting average is sitting somewhere around 230, which is very low compared to years past. Uh, You know, do, do we have an offensive problem now? Like, are the, are, are the pitchers too good? Like, what is the, the issue here? The pitchers have always been too good. The issue is that now, well, frankly, I mean, how many years has it been? I mean, this may be an overreaction, but you have to think about the ball, too. And they like, changed the ball prior to this year, too. They raised they changed, the on the ball. Yeah, they changed the ball back to make it a little more dead this year, which does account for some run scoring production. However, it's this is just more of a path and trend that the league has gone on away from contact because the pitchers have gotten so good. This isn't near, merely just a mathematical thing. This is a mental, this is a pretty logical thing to do. The more I've thought about it, I don't like it, but the more I think about it, Brandon, just about every starter, high-end starter prospect that we have seen, relievers as well, are coming in there nowadays 
like Dustin May throwing 100 miles an hour with crazy movement on these pitches. How are you supposed to hit that? You're not, especially you're, you're, when they go, when they all look the exact same for 45 of the 60 feet, and then they can have him move in four different directions. Uh, yeah. Exactly. So therefore we have gotten into an era of baseball in which it is harder than ever near impossible to be a quote contact hitter. Yeah. You can't just hit for contact in the same vein as you used to with the pitchers that are out there. It's not possible. So if you're, if you're being told, okay, the odds of me batting above 300 for the season, if I'm, let's say I'm trying to hit for contact and I'm batting rather than batting over 300 batting uh, 315, 320, not necessarily the best player in the league, but not the worst you're batting in the two eighties, two nineties. If I'm there, why not just drop my batting average back down to like 250 and hit seven, five to seven more home runs. That's going to be more valuable than those, um, those few hits for your team. That's going to be more valuable for you come contract time. So it's just a reaction to the way the game's gone. As for the disproportionate amount of note hitters, it probably will even out by the end of the year. I hope it doesn't though, because we're never exactly. Even with the league going less and less contact-based, I don't think we could ever possibly see again the amount of no-hitters we're hearing seeing this season. This, is, this as much as it is part, part trend, it's also part fluke. So may, maybe, maybe the MLB moves the mound back in years to come. Maybe things just don't wind up this way. However, I would personally like to see some crazy anomaly year where we have like quadruple the no hitters in 2021 than we have in any other individual season. And then nobody ever comes close to that again. Yeah. I think that'd be hilarious. I'll make one last note on this. Uh, You know, we see all of these no hitters, uh, but still yet to see a perfect game. It just, we've come so close this year, but, uh, you know, the last to do it was Felix Hernandez, of course. Uh, I believe that that was 2012 um, that he did it. But, yeah, a uh, lot of no-hitters, still yet to see a perfect game. Uh, we'll have to see when uh, that is. But, LJ, yeah, we have Brandon, yeah, you actually uh, queued this up pretty well here for the Rays and the A's. Yeah. The Athletics got out to an early lead with a Brown RBI single. Oakland starter Sean Manaya had a perfect game bid into the eighth inning before it was spoiled by Mike Brousseau, who doubled into right center gap, and that did it in. He allowed that runner to score with a set uh, – sorry, he let that runner score – but then Seth Brown hit a solo piece to put Oakland back on top two to one. Give the win to Jake Dykeman. Sean Manea, of course, goes seven and a third of an inning, allowing one run and 10 strikeouts. The loss will be given to Jeffrey Springs and Rich Hill pitched six innings of shutout ball. Brandon, this is the closest we've gotten to a perfect game this year. It's too bad. I always feel bad when a guy gets so far into a game and then they lose it not necessarily because of fluke, but because of they just don't have it left in them. So their numbers don't look nearly as impressive as the rest of the game did. I mean, you don't 
you don't give up. I'm not sure if you were able to catch any of this game. Yeah, I saw the end. I saw yeah, you, saw, you saw the end. That was that was solid squared up contact on that first hit. And then of course I turned it off after that. I really could have cared less. But I'm sure the next hit that drove him in, I believe it was a single that drove uh that drove Brasso in was certainly a pretty well hit ball too. So it's one of those situations where it's like he obviously couldn't, wasn't going to be able to get all the way. It wasn't in the cards for him and his body and his uh, stamina that night. But the night is far more respectable than the line looks. Yeah. Uh, I would say that while Sean Mania does get into the eighth inning with the perfect game bid, the, the closest we've seen to a perfect game was the John Means no-hitter, only allowing oh, yeah, yeah. a third strike. All right, on to the Diamondbacks and Mets. There was fireworks in this one as well. The Diamondbacks, the LJ, they scored four runs across the second and third inning. Here's how they got them. A hit-by-pitch, two bases-loaded walks, and a ground out. I, I would want my money back if I were a fan at this, at this point. Michael Conforto would single in the bottom of the third to cut the lead to four to one. Jonathan Villar would single in the sixth to get another run back before Francisco Lindor would break out of his seemingly never-ending slump with a game-tying two-run home run. The game would go to extras tied four to four before Patrick Mazaleka would Walk it off on a fielder's choice. It was a little dribbler hit to the pitcher with the bases loaded. Uh, they're unable to get Pete Alonzo out at home. He slides in safely. The Mets win five to four. Another big story from this one, uh, Francisco Lindor and Jeff McNeil uh, supposedly got into a fight in the tunnel uh, in between innings. Uh, a bunch of the Mets players were running down into the tunnel very frantically. Uh, after the game, both Lindor and McNeil and essentially the whole the whole rest of the team was asked about it. And they all went with the same story that, well, some said that they saw a, a, a rat. Some said that they saw a raccoon. They were trying to figure out what it was. Uh, LJ, at this point, wouldn't you just, you know, have them say, you know, there was a little bit of a scuffle, but that's the end of the day. They're on good terms now, and, and we got the win. Yeah, there absolutely was a scuffle. A scuffle between the Mets and a rat. <laughs> Brandon, I just find it so shocking that people are so obsessed with finding a story, finding drama, especially finding drama in New York nonetheless. I mean, the Mets... Between the Mets and the Yankees, they always want to have something to complain about. They always want to have some form of drama somewhere around it in that New York media. And this could easily just be another one of those justifications. I would not be shocked by any means if there was an actual fight between uh, McNeil and Lindor. Would it, it wouldn't surprise me at all. However, Brandon, as we discussed earlier, there is no video of them throwing punches in that tunnel. There is no video of a scuffle between them. And so I cannot definitively believe that it is 
that there was anything happening there between the two of them until I see it. I'm not, I'm not going to break, make that off. Also, I can pretty well justify this. A lot of people are thinking it's silly, but would you not want to see it if it was as big as they seem to be telling us it is? Oh, I mean, no, it's New York. I just don't think that they have a camera angle of it. Like, I think that if, if there was footage available, we would have already seen this played a thousand times. No, no, no. I mean, wouldn't you want to see the raccoon slash rat? <laughs> I mean, if it's a huge, if it's a huge ass raccoon or rat, you're going to want to see it. Right. I mean, yeah, just I, so I just players were running down way too frantically for it to be a rat. You see, frantic. I wouldn't even say is the word it was, it was frantic, but borderline, like I want to get in there. So yes, it could be, let's break up this fight, but it also could be, I want to go see this rat. Brandon, I think like 11 out of 10 boys are going to want to see a huge rat. Yeah. So you have all of these boys stuck in a crowded dugout. They're not going to want to go see a rat in the middle of a baseball game. It takes like a minute or two of their time. It's probably not going to affect the outcome of the game. So Heck yeah, I want to see the rat. And yeah, I mean, that's just, that seems like a worthwhile explanation for me to take in the meantime, not having video. All right. Next up, we got the Twins and the Tigers. Garlic, Jorge Polanco and Max Kepler hit home runs for Minnesota and Detroit's Castro also went yard. The Twins outpaced the Tigers and won at seven to three. Give the win to Matt Shoemaker, who went five innings with no earned runs and five strikeouts. The lost Tariq Skubal went five innings, allowing two earned runs and striking out eight batters. Jose Barrios will face Jose Urania today. The Battle of the Jose's. On to the Padres and Giants. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash teamready. Buster Posey would get the game going with a two-run home run in the bottom of the third, his eighth of the season. In the bottom of the fifth, Evan Longoria singles to make it 4-0 Giants. The Padres get two two-run home runs in the top of the sixth to tie it up, those coming from Trent Grisham, who's having a fantastic year so far, and Eric Hosmer. In the bottom of the seventh, Tied 4-4, four to four. Austin Slater hits a home run uh, to right field right there on that porch that the Giants have to make it 5-4. The Giants are able to hold on and beat the Padres. The win goes to Camilo Doval 
out of the San Francisco bullpen. He's now one and one on the year. The loss goes to Keone Kayla out of the San Diego bullpen. Uh, he picks up his second loss on the season. Blake Snell, who was the San Diego starter, goes four and two thirds, allowing one hit, but four earned runs and six walks, uh, only striking out five. Certainly not the, the best start for him. Six walks is not the best number there. Jake McGee picks up his eighth save on the year for the Giants. And today's matchup will be Joe Musgrove taking on Kevin Gosman. All right, next up is the Mariners and the Rangers. In a tight game through the first half, Texas got their biggest lead of the game at 4-2 off of a Nate Lau solo piece. A J.P. Crawford two-run piece and a Mitch Hanniger RBI single in the seventh pushed the Mariners ahead of the Rangers 5-4. That was your final. Give the win to Chris Flexen. He went six and one-third of an inning, allowing four earned runs. The loss goes to Josh Spores. And for the Rangers, it'll be Kohei Arihara facing Seattle today. On to the Nationals and the Yankees. A home run barrage from the two teams in the first few innings. DJ LeMahieu goes yard in the bottom of the first before Josh Bell and Jan Gomes both go deep in the top of the second. In the bottom of the second, Gary is scary. He goes deep for the first time since April 3rd to cut into the lead. The Nationals will lead 3-2. to two. In the bottom of the sixth, DJ LeMahieu with another solo home run. This time, he ties it at three. Top of the eighth inning, the Yankees absolutely fall apart. Three errors in the inning. Uh, they allow six runs, three from a Josh Harrison home run. Juan Soto adds on to the blowout in the ninth with a solo home run. The Nats win 11-4. You can give the win to Kyle Finnegan, now 2-0 and on the year. Also, LJ, we didn't mention this, but he threw an immaculate inning a couple of days ago, so mm. very impressive by him. Oh, uh, real quick, I know this is in the middle of one and it wasn't Good. scheduled. However, did you see the uh, highlights from Kumar Rockers start today for Vanderbilt? He had 10 strikeouts through the first three innings or something like that. I saw No, it's, it, it's nastier. Okay. Brandon, he should have had an immaculate inning and somehow decided to make it better. So he got the f- six pitches, six strikes, two strikeouts. Okay. He then goes nine pitches, nine strikes, the third strikeout, but it's a drop third strike, and the guy gets on base. Of course, this is the little the second. <laughs> this is the second time this week we've seen this happen, and I haven't heard about it happening. A uh, guy getting on in that in a very long time. So he's got the runner on. He doesn't get out there. So what's the natural decision, Brandon? Go twelve pitches, twelve strikes, four strikeouts in the first inning of the game. Oh, oh he my! Was incredible. God. If I'm the if I'm the other team, I'm just feeling so demoralized after that first inning. I mean, you went down on the minimum and you struck out four times in one inning. I think I think you start rooting for him at that point. It's like the Pedro start in Baltimore back in uh, 99, was it, I think? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you're striking out 17, 18 guys, it's just like. Wasn't even, it wasn't even a no-hitter, and the entire stadium's chanting his name by the uh, sixth or seventh inning. 
I mean, this guy, the, both of these pitchers, all all five of these guys in the top top of the draft, the two pitchers and the three infielders, have such great are such great prospects. I don't think anyone can go wrong with any of the guys at the top of this draft class this year, which just makes me so excited to see all of this come through. Yeah, no, at a, some point, we're going to have to uh, dedicate an episode to sort of a, a deep dive on the top yeah. prospects, definitely, because uh, that's it's an important draft. Uh, so, But to finish up this recap, uh, Patrick Corbin, who got the start for the Nationals, six innings, four hits, three runs, and two strikeouts. The loss goes to Jonathan Loisega, his first real uh, blow-up appearance of the year. He goes a third of an inning, allowing four hits and four earned runs. Jameson Tyone, the Yankee starter, allowed those two home runs early, but then did uh, settle into a nice groove. He pitches into the seventh inning once again, six and a third, three hits, three runs, and five Ks. LJ, today's matchup between these two will feature a combined five Cy Young Award wins. Corey Kluber takes on Max Scherzer. Wow. I didn't realize it was that. Yeah, because who has the more? Who has more? Scherzer has three. Kluber has two. Yeah, the two. Okay, I couldn't remember which one was which. Um, yeah, that makes sense because Scherzer went over to the National League so long ago. White Sox and Royals. The White Sox scored three runs yesterday, including a solo piece by Zach Collins. Carlos Rodon and company shut out the Royals three to nothing. Give the win to Carlos Rodon. He went six innings with no earned runs and eight strikeouts. The loss will be given to a Brad Keller who went six innings of three run ball and six strikeouts. Lance Lynn will take on Daniel Lynch in his second career start. Onto the Rockies and the Cardinals. Harrison Bader hits a home run to put the Cardinals up two to zero after the second. The, this was the first game that Nolan Arenado had played uh, against the Rockies since that trade uh, in the offseason. In the bottom of the third, Jack Flaherty helps him helps out his own cause and hits a home run. Uh, in the bottom of the fifth, uh, Dylan Carlson singles to make it 4-0. The Cardinals go on to win 5-0. Give the win to Jack Flaherty. LJ now 6-0 on the year. He goes seven innings, allowing three hits, no runs, and six Ks, and of course adds that home run. The loss to Austin Gomber, now two and four on the year. Uh, he's only able to go five innings. He allows six hits, five runs, and strikes out seven. The Cardinals have won seven of their last 10. Today's matchup is Carlos Martinez taking on Chi-Chi Gonzalez. Brandon, I'm not sure if you heard this, but I feel like this is a good, perfect opportunity to mention both the Angels as my least favorite franchise, second least favorite franchise in baseball right now. And Albert Pujols and his connection with Nolan Arenado, as Nolan Arenado was quoted today when asked as saying, Albert Pujols, I love you, man. You're one of the greatest to ever play this game. And I hope you get to go out the right way. I'm just a huge fan. And I hope you hear this one day because you're my favorite player. Thank you. Again, just shows everything, everything that needs to be said. I think can be said about his impact on the game and what was done to him can be found in that. And I'm not sure if I read it yesterday, 
Pedro put together a uh, very nice thing on his Instagram uh, about Albert Pujols. They were both fantastic. Yeah, I just think those were really well said, and I'm just still so sad. Uh, Dodgers and Angels. The Dodgers bookended the scoring in the game with a BD RBI. Again, here we go with Matt Beattie coming up, only only just barely being relevant with RBIs when needed to keep his name around, as the well as a Betts. Clutch player in the league. Hmm? I said the most unclutch player in the league. Uh, and Mookie Betts' home run. But it was the nine runs scored by the Angels in between that decided it. The Angels take game one from the Dodgers, nine to two. Give the win to Griffin Canning. He went five and two-thirds of an inning, allowing one earned run. And the loss will go to Julio Urias, who went five innings, allowing five earned runs. Today will be Clayton Kershaw versus Dylan Bundy. I will take the blame. I'm going to be honest. I kind of tried to call this matchup yesterday. I did not go as planned. Well, uh, both of those teams were certainly on slides. So, uh, you know, one of them had to win. But um. Maybe the Dodgers will will break out of it and uh and beat the Angels today. Phillies and Braves. The Phillies came out scorching hot. They scored six in the top of the first. Alec Bohm singled, Gene Segura singles, and then Odubel Herrera three-run home run to make it 6-0. The Phillies offense would pile on six more, two from a JT Real Muto home run. Philadelphia dominates and wins 12-2. Give the win to Zach Eflin, now two and one on the year. Six and two thirds, five hits, two runs, and eight Ks. The loss to Charlie Morton, now two and two on the year. He doesn't make it out of the first inning. Two thirds of an inning, four hits, six runs, but none are earned here. Very strange line. Uh, two walks and strikes out one. The Phillies have won five in a row. Vince Velasquez takes on Ian Anderson today. Next up, we've got the Blue Jays and the Astros. Toronto got three home runs from Bichette, Jansen, and Hernandez. This didn't help them save them from the offensive onslaught of Houston, who scored 10 runs in the game. The Astros beat the Jays 10-4. to Give the win to Jose Urquidy, who went seven innings of two-earned run ball. The loss to Ross Stripling who went three and two-thirds of an inning, allowing three earned runs. Today, Stephen Matz will face Christian Javier. On to the Brewers and the Marlins. Adam Duvall would single to make it 1-0 Marlins after the first. Bottom of the third, Isan Diaz with a grand slam to bust it open and make it 5-0 Fish. They go on to win 6-1. to one. Give the win to... Uh, just Tyler, Trevor Rogers, Trevor Rogers of the Marlins. There's so many different Rogers uh, here, but Trevor Rogers of the Marlins now four and two on the year. Uh, I didn't, I didn't get his innings pitched, but he ends up only allowing a one earned run and six strikeouts uh, with the win that makes him four and two. And now he's gone 38 innings this year, striking out 50 batters for a 1.89 ERA. LJ, is is this guy in contention for the NL Rookie of the Year? I mean, is 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 he the front runner? He went five innings today, uh, one point eight nine ERA over over the first forty innings of the year is really good for a rookie. 
I mean, the numbers certainly match that vibe check, but I, I also can't think of anybody else that would be close to that. Yeah. Right now. So absolutely. I'm going to give him that. The loss to Brent Suter, two and two on the year now. He goes two and a third, four hits, three runs, two Ks. Miami has won four in a row. The Brewer slide continues. They've dropped six straight. Adrian Hauser takes on TBD today. That guy is scary. TBD, I should get, I should get his jersey. Uh, Red Sox and Orioles leading one nothing in the fourth. Throbert D. Bobby Dahlbeck unloaded on a three-run homer. They added two more runs late, but that but those original four would have been enough as all they needed was two runs to beat Baltimore. The Sox win it six to two. Give the win to Eduardo Rodriguez, who overcame ulcer-creating command issues early in the game to be able to make it through five innings with only one earned run allowed. The loss will be given to Matt Harvey, who went four innings, no earned runs, but several, I believe it was you know, the fall four of those first runs. Next up is Garrett Richards against Zach Lowther. All right, last game, we got the Pirates and the Cubs. The Cubs score one run in each of the first three innings. They get a fielding error, a single from Jock Peterson, and a sack fly to score their three runs. The score would remain three to zero until the top of the ninth, where the Pirates would manage two runs but cannot complete the comeback. The Cubs win three to two. The win to Zach Davies, now two and two on the year. Seven innings, five hits, no earned for him. Very nice start. The loss to Trevor Cahill, now one and four on the year. Five innings, eight hits, two earned runs, and two Ks. Rex Brothers picks up his first first save with the Cubs. He only has to get one out and gets credited with the save. The Cubs have now won four in a row and are at 500 at 16 and 16. Today's matchup is Will Crow taking on Trevor Williams. All right, Brandon, I believe it is now time for the PPP, particular players people may care about. Brandon, looks like the way we have this going right now is you've got two and then I have three. I will run through quick. So why don't you take your two right after yeah. that? So the, the, the first one, of course, had to throw him on here. Wade Miley, uh, what a special performance that he had tonight, throwing a no-hitter. Uh, and I was able to watch uh, the last three innings of this one from the seventh inning on. Uh, the, the Yankees game was a blowout. Figured, why not watch the no-hitter that's going on? And really good game between the, the Reds and the Indians. Wade Miley, though. Of course, the story, eight strikeouts, uh, just a little bit over 100 pitches. And now on the year, he's uh, looking very good. Uh, now 36 total innings, uh, a .75 whip, and a, and a two ERA. Uh, he is looking very nice. My second guy is Bryce Harper. Uh, so he didn't do a lot today, but I was just on the stat cast leaderboards and I, I noticed something. So he's currently slashing 322, 449, 598. That's good for a 1.046 OPS. That's very good. Which is very, very good. But 
the stat cast numbers, which is all the expected stats that we talk about that actually that actually show what his stats should be. LJ, they show that he's underperforming. Uh, his expected batting average is 50 points higher at 373. His expected slugging percentage is over 200 points higher at 814. Uh, he's the fifth most unlucky player in the entire league when it comes to slugging uh, versus your uh, expected slugging. Uh, the other one is his actual weighted on-base average is at 442, expected weighted on-base average at 526. Uh, I think Bryce Harper's back. He is fully back as one of the most dominant hitters in the league. The expected stats are there. The actual stats are there. Uh, such a fun hitter to watch always. Brandon, I got to tell you something real quick. He's always been there. Oh, no, I know, but he's... You, can't, you cannot doubt the show that this man puts on. I mean, first off, all right, granted, I, I understand what you're saying in terms of he is back, as in if he he moves towards what he should have, if he moves towards what his mean should be, he's going to be on pace with his MVP numbers. I see what you're saying there, but this guy is... This guy's a monster. This guy's always going to be a monster. And I, I, I think somebody should do something about me, bring me out back if I ever uh, try to underrate Bryce Harper. He is amazing. I wish nothing at no point in my life do I wish to be a Bryce Harper hater like so many are. So I, I, I love the guy. All right, next up, I've got three here first one i'm going to go with is sean Manaya, of course who got into the eighth with that perfect game really well pitched game from what i saw you know n not every night you're going to have the same stamina not every guy has that same stamina to handle so many high pressure innings i mean i you have to think based on my bowling bowling experience i know that's not the same thing but 300 and a perfect game no hitter are very similar in that vein and so you're going to start to think about it about halfway through, if yeah. not earlier. So as soon as you start thinking about it, instantaneously, all of those innings become high stress. They become pressure innings right from the moment you start thinking about it. So making it that far, some people just do not have the body to be able to go through it. They do not have it in them to push that long. Next up, we got Miguel Cabrera, who today, Brandon, passes Babe Ruth on the all-time hits list. Very impressive. Uh, I didn't realize that that Babe Ruth is that low on the all-time hit list. Uh, he didn't get 3,000 hits, which shocks me for someone who played 22 years. But really, really cool moment for uh, my guy, Miggy. Absolutely. We love to see it again. You know, one of these guys we grew up with, it's absolutely, he is the man. Next up is a story from yesterday that when I was prepping for the show, completely forgot to put in entirely my fault. I knew about it and just, it never, it never formulated into actually me remembering it. Xander Bogarts 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready has now played 1,001 games for the Boston Red Sox. Yesterday, or not yesterday, two days ago, was his 1,000th game with the team. Again, this has been fantastic service and now turning into incredible veteran leadership for this team. Still always going to be one of my favorite players. I'm going to tell them about these guys just because of the era he came into and I – really grew we really grew up with this type of era of player guy Alexander Bogarts who's coming up when we're about roughly 12 11 10 11 12 yeah he's in his young years and now starting to see it as we go and we're still really at heart fans so I I love to see this it's fantastic to see him have a thousand games in a Red Sox uniform all right, let's get on to the leaderboards where I have a new stat that I found on StatCast. And LJ, like we were talking about the other day, somehow we always are able to find new stats. Uh, but <laughs> this one is called Bolts, and it has to do with a player's uh, sprint speed. So this is directly from the MLB.com site. A bolt is any given time a player is running where the sprint speed of the runner is at least 30 feet per second for at least a one second interval within there. Uh, so it's basically at how many times does a player, how many separate times has a player been going 30 feet per second while, while running uh, actively in a game uh, for at least one second. So the league leader is Trey Turner who is at 26 of these. Uh, the next closest is, is Byron Buxton and Tim Locastro at 14. Uh, that is a very big gap between first and second there. And um, really interesting stat. Uh, you know, on the, the Yankees broadcast tonight, they were talking about Trey Turner a lot and saying how you know, really one of the more underrated players in the league and is a star. I mean, when you talk about those top shortstops, he doesn't really get brought up. And it's confusing to me because he has been so good year after year. Uh, LJ, I think that we kind of snubbed him from our all-star teams a couple of days ago. We put Fernando Tatis in over him, but I think Trey Turner uh, could have gotten one of those spots. But yeah, this is just a really cool stat, and uh, we'll have to keep track of and see how, how much Trey Turner has a lead over the competition in this. Yeah, I have a question for you real quick, just I haven't seen this before. Now I'm kind of live reacting to it. 
Is this just base running or is this defense as well? Oh, that's a great question, actually. Because if it's defense as well, that makes this incredible for Trey Turner. Because, I mean, Brandon, you have to consider the fact that uh, LaCastro, I believe, part-time, but Buxton full-time playing the outfield, mm-hmm. which any play you're making, there's a lot more room you're covering. There's a lot, a lot more time you have. Therefore, you're running farther. You're running longer and you have more time to get up to speed. With Trey Turner at shortstop, yes, you have a lot of room to cover in the middle infield, but it's not nearly the same. You don't have nearly the same amount of time running each time as the outfielders do. So that just makes this even crazier. So I just uh, looked it up, and unfortunately, it is just for when uh, it is like a batted ball in play. Yeah, then that 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 also – Brings me to my second question. The fact that Ronald Acuna isn't a top three player in this list. Yeah. It's kind yeah, of shocking. One of the fastest players in the league. Acuna, honestly, that's the most impressive thing to me about Acuna is the way he uses his legs on the base path. But that goes to show you just even more about the fact that base running is so much more than a speed. Yeah. It's about it's about smart and quick decision-making. It's about technique. And really, it's about aggressiveness. He makes, he makes these incredible plays because he genuinely believes he can and he wants to. So he's just going to do it. So that, that even though he's not in this, I still would consider him up there among the top three. I, I mean, statistically, I can't really... I'm not sure I can argue whether three or not, depending on how close he is to the top, but I could consider him over Buxton in my opinion. You know, I've always said this, but I thought that I think that a watching a good base running play is one of the most uh, satisfying things that you can yes. see, whether it's on TV or in person, watching a nice first to third with a head first slide, watching a stolen base is so exciting. Because it involves so much more than than you think it does. I mean, there's just so much instinct, so much reaction time. It's a really, really special skill to have to be able to 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 run the bases extraordinarily well. All right, let's move on with this so we can get on to, to our little talk about the DH. For war for hitters, Mike Trout has retaken the lead at 2.5. Byron Buxton sits in second at 2.4. Ronald Acuna third at 2.2. War for pitchers, Garrett Cole at 2.2. Jacob DeGrom, 2.1. Corbin Burns, 1.8. Home runs, we still have a three-way tie for first. That is between Ronald Acuna, J.D. Martinez, and Shohei Otani. They all have 10. Games played, I haven't done this one yet, I don't think, so uh, this is for hitters. We have four hitters who have played 34 games. The, they are Matt Chapman and then three Rangers, uh, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, Nate Lau, and Nick Solak. Now, I checked, and I was I wanted to see if, for whatever reason, the, the Rangers have played more games than everyone that, this year, and they haven't. I mean, they pretty much played – every team has pretty much played exactly the same amount of games. So for the Rangers to have three guys who have played in every game this year, uh, really impressive. The last one that I want to talk about is team run, run differential. Uh, 
For the American League, the White Sox lead at plus 39. They lead the entire league. Uh, the Houston Astros are second at plus 34. And LJ, the Red Sox at plus 30. The NL has the Giants at plus 31. The Dodgers at plus 30. And the Miami Marlins at hmm. plus 25. Uh, they're actually having a really underrated year. They're pitching well. They're doing everything well. Uh, and the NL East is going to be crazy this summer. Yeah, this just goes back to some of our predictions early, uh, earlier on in the offseason, just about how underrated, no matter what, while they may not be a contend, contender talent-wise, the Marlins are going to be underrated by just about everyone who looks at them. They're going to be able to go on runs for half a month, a month, here and there throughout the, this season, where they just find ways to pull out games. They find ways to increase something like their run differential in this instance and make themselves just a little bit relevant and play a little spoiler for some teams. But back on that games played stat, I hope this means a lot to the fans, mm -hmm. of the Rangers fans, because there's something else that jumps out to me. Not only are they leading in game, games played, these are arguably the three most impactful position players on the Rangers right now. These three guys, it's not just because they've played 34 games that their names come up every single day in our reviews. I mean, I, I consistently can remember saying each of these names just about every single time I've covered a Rangers game for this podcast. They're made now. Not only are these guys the top end of their team, but they're playing every single game, trying to get every bit of the winning for their team that they can. And I think that's fantastic. It's not like you have your scrub uh, left fielder that's kind of just in there for defense as a defensive plug because you don't have anyone better offensively for it. These are guys that legitimate are legitimately quality MLB talents that want to be out there that are out there giving everything they have for their team. Yeah, I'm starting I'm starting to kind of fall in love with this Rangers team. I mean, I, I like these guys like Nick Solak, Nate Lau, Isaiah Kiner, Falefa, but then you still have guys like Joey Gallo. Oh, let's not forget just last week, Adalis Garcia wins League Player of the Week. So, they yeah. have a lot of, you know, just young fun guys and uh yeah, you're, it, you're forgetting one important detail here. And that is Chris Davis. Mm, if they are, if they are at all relevant at the end of the year, now I'm not saying they are, if they're at all relevant, come whenever he comes back, Chris Davis could make things very interesting. I'm not over trying to overhype this, but let's say Brandon, they're about 500. Chris Davis comes back. Chris Davis gets a little hot and starts to show flashes of what Chris Davis has done in the past then that just adds another dimension to this team that could push them from being one of the teams that we were taking the under. I believe, I don't remember if I've, either of us actually did, but I know their win loss was very low this year. Us taking the under to us saying, this is a potential near 500 team, which is a huge jump from expectations. Well, uh, we won't go on for too long. We want to get on to this uh, sort of like, I was kind of interviewing LJ a little bit uh, to talk about this, this research that he's done. 
really, really interesting. We go super in depth about the, the DH and uh, yeah, make sure that you stick around to listen to it. That's coming up right next. Uh, but make sure that you follow us on Twitter. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Of course, we're on Twitter at MLB Daily Pod. LJ is at LJ underscore VP underscore LaFiora. And I'm at Brandon underscore Karam. Uh, yeah, enjoy this interview. Uh, sort of interview, but just long length talk about the DH. And uh, yeah, we will see you guys tomorrow. See you manana. All right, next up, we've got something pretty interesting for you guys. So I, a couple of weeks ago, actually now about a month ago, geez, this has flown by, I started working on and writing a paper on explaining why the universal designated hitter would be the best thing for baseball. And we thought it would be a great thing to really talk about and flesh out this paper for all of you on the podcast here. So, cause there's a lot of information that I ended up using in there that isn't commonly thought about with this debate. So Brandon, you've read the paper. What did you think? Uh, it's so when I first saw it and I saw it was like 13 pages, I was like, what could they possibly, like, what could he possibly be talking about for 13 pages? But very intriguing. I mean, you, you covered a lot of stuff that I didn't even think about, uh, would have any factor into the why why it's a it's a good idea to have the the universal dh but uh yeah really interesting uh i've always been in the camp that uh there should be a a, a universal dh so it was nice to see that you are also in that same camp and we share pretty much the same ideas absolutely now, uh, I actually do have a few questions that I want to ask you about the paper. So uh, when it comes, so you uh, focused a little bit on the economics part of the American League and the National League, and you you looked at, you know, which league makes more more money per per game. You know, is it the league with the the DH or the league without the the DH? Uh, I don't remember exactly what your finding was but it was something like the american league makes seven hundred thousand dollars more per game or something like that yeah so as of a study done by Damaslicki and kerr back in 1990 the findings were that attendance was giving american league teams seven hundred and seventy three thousand dollars more than national league teams since, of course, like the DH split in all of that. So that just, I mean, really to me, that is a huge number. Not only, not only explaining the, it doesn't, it doesn't even just prove the gap in entertainment of having the DH there and so more people are wanting to go to these American League games. But you have to think about the fan base size and what should have been built. The National League was a major league way before the American League. They naturally should have a much larger and more loyal fan base through the generations of family all the way up from the 19th century. But so hypothetically, Brandon, wouldn't you think that they would be still making more money because they have a larger fan base, they'd be getting more ticket sales, right? Doesn't that seem logical? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the National League's uh, it, 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 I'm pretty sure it dates back to like the early 1870s when it first was like an official 
major league. The you you uh, said in your paper there that the American League was still considered a minor league up until what was it, 1903? 1903, that's correct, yeah. Yeah, so I mean that's like a good 25 years there and we know that that baseball was honestly it's been really popular ever since its inception, but the the 20th century of course like helped progress that along, but those games that were being played back then like were still being attended by a their fair share of people. So the, the the National League being around for so long, you would think that they you're absolutely right to think that there would be more fans and more fans of NL teams. Absolutely. That's why it's such a staggering number to hear that because it, theoretically there should be more fans, which obviously would make you assume that a lot of those fans have been swayed over to the American League for some reason or another. Maybe it's just a team closer to their home, but it could be that they had really exciting teams in those 70s, 80s, 90s. Um, Take it, I mean, you have, I'm sure, I don't see a lot of them right now, but I'm sure you still have a lot of Braves fans in Massachusetts. Yeah. That is not, that is, that is absolutely a fair statement. But all of a sudden you get these early 2000s teams, you get David Ortiz, exciting players like that. And you're going to be, swaying more and more people to come watch you to come root for the local team and you also have to think about this is uh, a 1990 paper that i was getting this information from and so that means all of the numbers were 80s 70s 80s seven hundred seventy-three thousand dollars goes a lot look goes a lot longer away in the 70s and 80s than it does today it's a much more impressive number than you really think about now yeah, uh, and especially when you, you were talking about, you know, like, as for the fans in the stands, like, is watching a pitcher hit entertaining? Like, in it's not. I mean, we, we've seen so far in, in the 2021 season, I mean, when I have to watch some, some National League games, it's just like, oh, here's the pitcher. It's just like almost an automatic strikeout. And then you know, you talk to fans who are like, oh, you know, but in, in, in the National League, they have things like the the double switch and you have to have a, a deeper bench to pinch hit. I mean, LJ, I'm going to read it right from your article. You said that uh, the the attendance numbers compiled by Domalitsky and Kerr proved that these strategies are highly overrated from an entertainment standpoint. Uh I mean, would you like to speak I mean, on Yeah, I certainly think it factors into what's going on here as far as a long-term thing. Like having a good strategist, having a deep roster is what wins you division titles. It's what wins you the NL pennant. However, from a fan's perspective, you're going for one game. You don't necessarily need the strategy to win a singular game that you're, you're focused on winning that singular game. And so you would much rather see somebody with a big bat in that lineup having more runners on base. I mean, that's something I didn't get included in here, but Freddie Freeman, the reigning NL MVP, commented on that last after last season, how weird it was and exciting, frankly, for him to have runners on base more consistently because you don't have that pitcher in the lineup. He, of course, bats in that two-three hole. So 
if the pitcher's in the lineup, that's an instant, an instant out. He may have one or two guys on at best, usually one at most, when he comes up in the order just because the bottom of the lineup is so bad. But honestly, the biggest issue from a talent standpoint, from a skill standpoint, is that pitchers have spent so much time focusing on their craft, which is fair. It's fair for them to do that. That the majority of them have completely ignored it. I mean, you have the exceptions. You have Madison Bumgarner, you have Zach Granke, uh, Bartolo Colon. I guess if you could count it with his dinger a couple of years back. Like those are the exceptions to the rule. But Brandon, I'm going to read another another little stat that I have in here from 1871 to 1879. Pitchers carried a batting average of 235. Not, ter- not good, but not terrible either. By 1972, where the year the designated hitter came in, the, the league average for pitchers draft, dropped to 147. Yeah. For reference on that, the position player batting average only dropped about 2%. So 20 points. Yes. That's, I mean. That's minor I'm- compared to the other. Yeah, and I think that we we realized that over the past however many years that the MLB has been in existence. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash teamready. Every single year, the the pitching gets gets better. Like now, we're seeing guys throw over a hundred miles an hour way more often than we ever have. We're seeing guys with with breaking pitches that are moving way more than they ever have. So not only is it harder to to hit the ball, but it's harder to be a good pitcher. So you have to put more of your time into your your pitching craft and. I mean, we're seeing uh, this year how, how much hitters are struggling. The You said that, that pitchers were hitting between that eight-year stretch, 235. The league batting average this year is 233. So if that doesn't show just how much harder it is to, to, to be a hitter, uh, then I don't know what does. I mean, it's all the stats show that it, that the, the, the DH is the, the best spot to have. And LJ, something you talked about, it opens up so many more roster spots for teams to have this extra hitter, this extra power hitter, who instead of having the, the pitcher hit ninth, you could have this guy hit third, fourth, fifth. I mean, and or if you need to have an off day for someone, you stick them in there. It's just you can be so so versatile with the position. Yeah, um, you know, before I get into that, I do want to comment on another thing you said there about just – 
the pitcher having to hit how hard it is to hit off pitchers in general. It's a total fallacy that people want, ex people expect that pitchers should be able to hit for a decent average while also working on their craft. They have to be up on par with the rest of the guys in the league. These guys that are throwing 100, these guys that are maybe even only throwing 90, but are going to have uh, ridiculous spin rates and ridiculous movement on their breaking balls, like say Ryan Yarbrough. And so that, that cannot happen if you're focused on both the plate and both hitting at the plate and pitching on the mound. But yeah, I mean, there's just so much more you can do with the designated hitter. I mean, I think we see, we see our fair share of teams now, if you don't have an established designated hitter that will just throw whoever they want to have the rest day in. You're able to keep your better players out there a lot. I know in um, OOTP, the world's greatest, most fun simulator that we talk way too much about. Um, I, I tend to, if I'm doing the Red Sox, I will, I'm more than willing to sacrifice a little defense in left field, put J.D. Martinez out there, if that means that I'm able to keep Xander Bogarts' bat in the lineup for a day or two yeah. and get him rested up and get him out of the field. So it just, it makes perfect sense to use it like that but it also allows for so much more opportunity for specific players. There's some players that have a brilliant offensive approach. They're fantastic, but they just are not athletically gifted in the way that it takes to be in the field. They aren't fast. They aren't able to read the ball as well as other guys. That does not necessarily mean just because they're a fully complete player, that doesn't mean that they're not a great player in their own right. Frankly, I think we have seen Hall of Fame caliber players as DHs because just because they had one lacked in one area doesn't mean they weren't one of the best hitters we'll ever see. So if you were to take that, if you were to expand that, you're going to allow, expand that by, I mean, um, if you were to expand it to the National League, you're adding 15 other teams that have DH roles. Now, some of them will use it as that like pseudo bench that we were discussing before, but others, others will go out and they'll get a guy like Marcelo Zuna, who wouldn't necessarily, a lot of teams were worried about taking because they didn't want his viability of his arm in the outfield. Like it's just, you, you don't, you don't ideally want him playing left field. He can't, he, as we've seen this year, he can barely throw a runner out from there if he tries. And so that's going to not only is that going to for the top guys like Marcelo Zuno or JD Martinez, that's going to drive their price up because there's more teams in competition. However, that's also going to lead the way for more other players to get that opportunity because I mean, there's only 15 DH spots right now. You can only have up to 15 of those types of guys on your roster, or else it gets to be a little ridiculous to have them around. So that gives a, a more a bigger variety of players an opportunity, but it also gives older players an opportunity too. A lot of these guys can't extend their careers if they are able to switch into a designated hitter role where they don't have to be in the field every day. Yeah, and you know I think it's important not only for for older players, but like you said, to try to give guys rest. Um, you did a lot of of, of research in here about the, the injury effects of 
whether or not the 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 DH or or not having the the DH causes more or less injuries. Uh, what exactly did you find with that? Um, I'm gonna be honest. It was not as big an effect on it as I thought it would be going into it. Mm. I was thinking that realistically, that was going to be the biggest part of my argument was the fact that the pitchers are more injury risk. I mean, in theory, they are. So that, that gives you more of a reason to do it. However, the vast, vast majority of pitching injuries come on the, um, pitch, on the mound. A, pl- plenty of them do happen at the, at the plate. However, the majority of them, of course, especially now with everybody throwing 100 miles an hour, are these wear and tear injuries, these Tommy John surgeries we're seeing. A guy broke, blows out his Achilles pitching, uh, like, who was it last year? Not Max Freed. Oh, um, Soroka. Mike Soroka, thank you. That blew out his ACL while pitching. It's more of that. It's more in that vein. However, if you're going to have those, like, yeah, actually, here's the, here's the stat I used. 30 uh, pitchers go on the injury list 34% more than their fielding counterparts. So if they're already at such a risk, why would you add any extra risk? Even if it is a minor, a very minor, like even if it's like 5% of their injuries come at the plate, why would you want to even deal with that 5% if you already have to deal with everything else? Yeah, exactly. And we saw in the in the 2020 season when it was the 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 DH in both the American League and the National League, it was just an overall way more entertaining game. I mean, you you mentioned a guy like Marcelo Zuna. I think that if there isn't a a DH in the NL in 2020, he doesn't nearly have the same production that he um, did. I mean, he's a guy who has one of the the weakest arms in the league now, according to StatCast. And the Braves see that and they say, okay, well, in 2020, we have this this, uh, DH spot, so we can plug him in there and he can just rake for us every single day. And that's what he did. Comes sixth in MVP voting. You, You will look at what he's done this year where he's had to play in the field every day uh, and his 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 uh, stats have not been as good. Now, obviously, I'm not sure how how big of a correlation it is, but just being able to put a guy like him or the big example that you used in your your um, paper was was a David Ortiz. I didn't realize that he didn't even play like over 300 games in the field for his entire career. Like I thought earlier in his career, he was playing first base, but I mean, I guess like I, I, I just didn't realize that basically his entire career, he's been strictly a D8. Yeah. And it's like you look at him. You, first of all, you cannot deny the talent there. He was one of the best hitters we will ever see. Probably, probably my favorite hitter I will ever see in my life. However, that doesn't mean he's like an athletic freak in every sense of the word. He was a pretty big guy. He's big poppy for a reason. And so. Like, you're not going to, you shouldn't expect to get that much from him. You're not going to expect him to be a uh, speedy, get around the bases, steal a bunch of bags, or um, play the outfield, read it well. He was a first baseman that didn't have that that great a reaction, of course, I used here. Let's see. 
it was yeah he had 55.3 wins above replacement however in his career he had a negative 20.9 war defensive war so his defense in that limited time frame was really holding him back like let's say let's say you take that let's you say he never plays in the field let's say there's a universal dh for his entire career he gets to play every single game at designated hitter you're hypothetically talking about a 75.3 career war here am i wrong unless i'm doing the math wrong here I that mean, that is incredibly high it would certainly be higher but um war does not equal offensive war plus, plus a defensive war uh those those like when I first saw that, I was confused too, but I, I was reading something on, on baseball reference that says that um, the way that they do the calculations, it's not like an exact add up of the two to get your answer, but it would certainly be higher. I mean, well, it, it, it would be significantly higher. Yeah. Like where, and, where would you ballpark, ballpark get? Mid 60s, probably 70. Yeah. And there also is a, positional adjustment for uh, the the DH so you will get uh, penalized for not playing in the field I think that's where where most of that comes from but still I mean you you look at a guy like Edgar Martinez who was the first uh, real purely a DH to to get into the Hall of Fame and these guys are just criminally underrated by a lot of baseball fans because their advanced stats like war don't show exactly how how valuable they they are to the team. I mean, Edgar Martinez was a guy who was probably one of the best hitters in the league for a good ten to twelve year stretch there, probably from I'd say nineteen ninety through the end of two thousand and one two thousand two. He was one of the best hitters in the league, and he was strictly a DH, and it was a battle to get him into the Hall of Fame. So. I think that the entirety of the the uh, MLB sort of underrates this spot, and it would be really nice to see after the CBA this offseason if they can somehow get the, the, the universal DH back because it leads to more offense. Fans want offense. Rob Manfred wants offense. Uh, yeah, I mean, it seems like a pretty simple move, but also – you know, the MLB is the only sport where you, you have such a drastic change in between conferences or leagues within a sport. You know, we don't see in the NBA, the East and the Western Conference, you know, they play under the same rules. NFL is the same. The MLB is kind of the only thing like that. And that's what makes it so special. But at the end of the day, LJ, you went through it all in your paper. The 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 DH is financially better. It's less injury prone for the pitchers, uh, just overall a better game of, of baseball. Absolutely. I 100% agree with it. I always wanted to see it because, again, we say – here's actually a perfect example that I used in my paper here. My favorite all-time memory of baseball, David Ortiz's Grand Slam and the 2013 ALCS. It was absolutely magical to me as a kid. If there's no DH, that never happens. Like, there are so many great moments that these types of players and the DH role has provided in one way or another, directly or indirectly, that taking it out would leave a massive 
hole in the game that you cannot you can't deny is there. So that's why I mean I've always wanted it, but doing this research has just made it even my desire even stronger. There is one piece of opposition, Brendan, I would like to go over real quick before we um, so we don't run incredibly long on ourselves today. Sure. And and that's this um, section I've looked at on the moral hazard theory. Brandon, I'm not sure how familiar you are with it, but basically the moral hazard theory operates under the idea that a person is less likely to do something dangerous to someone else if that may result in harm or injury to oneself. In baseball terms, this is talking about guys, guys throwing at batters. And basically what they found was that in leagues of the designated hitter, more batters were getting hit because the pitcher did not feel the responsibility that they would in the National League where they also have to step up to the plate. Mm. So this, this study was actually conducted in the Japanese Nippon Professional Baseball League, which runs identical to the MLB with their two leagues operating under basically the same rules. And they found, I want to say it was 5%. I'm not seeming to find it here in the article as I'm scrolling through it. However, there was a significant difference. And uh, yeah, all I wrote was a notable difference. Um, there was a significant difference in the amount of batters that were hit in their, Amer- their version of the American League and their version of the National League, more being hit in the American League. Going even further, they looked at individual pitchers by age, and they were finding that on average, the older the player got, the more hit batsmen increased. So they're just getting more and more comfortable with the lack of responsibility. Brandon, frankly, that could be, that is the most dangerous part of the universal designated hitter. But if the, if the league does it right, they're going to be able to make this just fine. I mean, I think back to the Joe Kelly throwing at the Astros last year over the cheating scandal when he started throwing at guys' heads. He got an immediate six or eight game suspension. He never actually hit anybody. No. And then you go into the last year again, the Rays and the uh, Yankees going back and forth all year. There's chippiness going on for a couple of series. And then Kevin Cash just gets frustrated and says, I got a whole damn stable of guys who throw 98 miles per hour, period, in a in a interview. That's a very blatant threat. And everyone that was in that situation, first off, none of those people were blameless. Boone wasn't blameless. Any of, none of the pitchers were blameless. Cash was also certainly not blameless. However, they, and so they all got some form of suspension out of that. Everyone was hit. So they've done such a good job of policing this over the past couple of years that I don't think it's going to turn into a serious like issue. Yeah, I mean, I think that the MLB, when it comes to suspensions i mean just the other night we saw jose alvarado throw at dom smith or not even throw at him strike him out and then start kind of a beef between the two and then reese hoskins gets thrown at but jose alvarado gets suspended for three games and all he did was really strike out a guy yeah so yell at him but in return one of his guys got hit so now is jose alvarado gonna want to go out there and start you know, trying to pitch inside the guys as much anymore? Probably not. He's also on an NL team. He he does come out of the, the bullpen, so he's not going to be hitting really at all. But still, uh, 
there is the whole um like you said the like when you you looked at the 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 Nippon League, I mean those are guys who are triple A quality players at least. Uh, it's a very underrated quality of play that's over there. Uh, and so that's a perfect example to look at and really interesting that uh, there was a notable increase in the hits bat in the hit batsman between the two leagues. But uh, yes, yeah, certainly that is an uh, uh, opposition to it. But I think that everything that we saw in 2020 and sort of that, that 60 game test run uh, shows that the, the, the universal DH is the, the best thing for the sport. Absolutely. I, again, always wanted to see it. I've always loved having a DH. I've gotten to see some very good DHs in Boston in my lifetime with David Ortiz and JD Martinez now. So I wouldn't, I would never wish away for the life of me. And I frankly, I think if the more people get to see it, the more people get used to it, the more they're going to love it too. Do you want me to like actually like wrap up a show or just end it and then we'll just like put this somewhere? Um, whatever you want to do. Because uh, actually, well, what I'm thinking actually two things that seeing we're obviously kind of in a break here. Um, I forgot to discuss with you. Mother's Day. Are we bringing the mothers on? Yes. Sure. I think it's a good idea. Okay. Sure. I will get in contact with Joy. I have to pay Joy. Shit. She's gonna yell at me. Um. And I'll get in touch with Mama Elge to do that. So if we do if we do this on Saturday and that on Sunday, we just won't do a, another interview this week. I think that probably works out best. Sure, that's fine. All right, so I'll, I'll so assume, however you want to do that. If you want I'll to assume it, that we're going to stick this at the end yeah. of that show. Okay, so. <laughs> Well, uh, I think that that is going to do it for our uh, universal DH conversation. LJ is certainly a great paper. Uh, I hope at some point I get to write some sort of paper like that while I'm here at Syracuse. But um, yeah, uh, make sure that, or first of all, thank you for, for listening to this episode of the MLB Daily Podcast. Make sure you're following us on all of our Twitter, starting with at Belly Up Sports and at Belly Up Podcasts. We are on Twitter at MLB Daily Pod. And then LJ and I, both very active on Twitter. Make sure you're following us at LJ underscore VP underscore Lafiora. And I am at Brandon underscore Karam. Uh, that's going to do it for this one. Uh, have a great day, everyone. See you manana. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Ready. ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. 
Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready.